0: you thanks for tuning into the waiting list podcast i'm long long
1: i'm daniel
2: and i'm Jacqueline. and we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches
1: so sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors industry giants and share some good vibes welcome back to episode two of raven's podcast if you missed our first episode then make sure you check that out It was all about her fascinating approach to collecting, which is very centred around the history of chronometry, a rather interesting approach to collecting, if I may say so. Uh, Welcome to the show again, Raven.
2: Thank you so much. It's great to be back.
1: Uh, The last episode we focused on watches, and as our audience is probably aware, we also like to touch upon the personal side of our collectors. Raven is the first transgender that I have ever met. So I thought it would be a good opportunity to try and understand what it is to be transgender. Before we get into that, I know how sensitive this topic is to many people, and I'm really approaching this through an inquisitive nature. So if at any point my questions are not appropriate, Raven, then you must let me know.
2: Of course. Um, Well, look, thank you so much for bringing me on to talk about this. You know, there's, uh, there's so much confusion, I think, in the world today around what trans people are like. Um, you sometimes don't even know what to say. Like, uh, for example, um, I wouldn't even describe myself as a transgender any more than you would describe yourself maybe as a Chinese, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trans, I'm transgender, I'm a transgender person. Um, but really the the crux of it is that uh, trans people are people who, uh, whose internal sense of their gender is different from uh, what people tend to assume based on how their body looks.
0: Okay, okay.
2: There's okay. Uh, there's a huge cross-cultural history of trans people existing. And I think in a lot of people's minds, this is something that happened very recently. Mm. Um, it's, it's really not. Uh, we have documented evidence of trans people going back thousands of years on every continent, mm-hmm. in every society, and uh, a lot of times, it wasn't that complex. And a lot of times it was not that fraught compared to how it is today. Um, but since we are here today, this is the world that we're in at this point. You know, I would just say that uh, trans people face a lot of stigma and they face a lot of uh, barriers in terms of living their everyday lives. And that can come in the form of uh, not having access to spaces where they're physically safe. Um, not having access to housing or jobs um, or not having access to documents, identification, uh, financial services, all those things can happen. And it really depends on an individual's specific experience.
1: Hmm. Why do you think society is like that if it's been around for, yeah, since the dawn of day?
2: It's a fair question. Um, Look, I think that around a couple hundred years ago, people became very entrenched in their idea of what roles various genders should play. And once people became entrenched in the idea of what roles various genders should play, it became very, very important to assign people to those genders and to be sure about your assignment and to be confident about it. And in some cases, to be coercive about it. If you think about, I'm only going to speak to the history in the United States because that's what I'm most familiar with. If you think about women's role in the United States and how it's evolved from the 1800s until today, there was a very clear role and set of expectations for women that did not involve having their own bank accounts, did not involve participating in government. Um, And as a result, there were all these structures built around ensuring that women fit into the role that was given to them. And I think one thing that makes people uneasy about trans people is that they may have a perception of them and an expectation of them that they don't fit. And so that can make people uncomfortable.
1: You mean they're not familiar?
2: They're not familiar. And it, it breaks up their expectations in a way that that can be confusing, right? If I, um, to give a, a very very silly example, right? If I go to a, a restaurant, I would expect the server to be the person whose role it is to to talk to me about my order. And so, if something else happens, that can leave me feeling a little bit confused, right? If if some other person comes up to talk to me about the order, or if I need to go somewhere else, it's it's not functioning the way I expect. And so. I would say that a lot of the confusion and unease that people have is they're saying, well, how do I put you into my mind in a way that makes sense? And the answer is very simple. The answer is, first of all, you don't have to worry about it. And the second answer is you would treat me just the way you would treat any other woman.
0: Uh, I know this is so annoying because Dan actually crafted the questions in a way I know it flows. But I just want to make sure I don't forget this question. Um, I think I don't just speak for myself when I tell you, like, I think in, in the East, especially our like what we have been exposed to, at least since we were young till now, are just characters on TV shows. Mm-hmm. Like the most obvious one, I think, for Chinese people is there was this guy who was always next to the emperor and uh Dan I don't know what he's called I suddenly lost the name for him but basically they chop off his genitals so that he um, becomes very feminine like he behaves really feminine and he speaks a bit high pitched you mean eunuchs yes eunuchs sorry I forgot the word Um, so that was I guess like the first exposure into this kind of character right through TV shows Mm -hmm. and then um, as I got older I watched um, some HBO shows like one being this show called Transparent Um, Mm -hmm. so I think my knowledge was always very limited and also i guess i grew up in singapore so i was close to thailand and then a Mm -hmm. lot of people were you know coming out there or like had no choice and then you know because of work had to uh, transition and so on so i think you've been explaining this all really well so far but what i actually want to know is is it more a mindset so you think in your head You feel like, wait, I, for some reason, I can't identify with, let's just say, I can't identify with being a housewife, being somebody that likes to cook. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, I think like a quote unquote man, does that mean inside you are a man? Like it has nothing to do with the physical side.
2: So I think it's, it's somewhere slightly in between what you've described, Uh, at least for me and a lot of the people that I talk to, you know, I want to make clear but I'm going to be talking about myself and my experience and the experience of people that are close to me, mm-hmm. everyone's experience is different. I don't think there's anyone who would say, well, if you don't want to be a housewife, then obviously you're not a woman. At least not anyone that, that, whose opinion I'd care to take on the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say, you know, imagine, for example, ling mm-hmm. that for whatever reason, yeah, you woke up tomorrow your closet was full of men's clothes. Uh-huh. All of your documentation had a different name on it that you, that didn't make sense to you. Yeah. And people insisted that you wear them and that you go by that name. Um, and that uh, any attempt to do otherwise was, was unacceptable. Okay. I suspect, you know, for a day, for two days, mm. it would be something a little bit novel and it would be mm-hmm. something that, uh, you know, seemed like a strange experiment. You could still do all the things you do today. You could still have the job you have. You could still have the friends you have. But I suspect that after a couple of years, it would seem like something wasn't right with that. It it wouldn't sit well with you. It would have nothing to do with the job you were doing. It would have nothing to do with um, the opportunities you had available to you in your life. Mm -hmm. It would be the fact that inside, inside you, you, you would know, like, hey, I'm Lung Lung, and I'm a woman, and the fact that no one's, tre- like, talking about me that way or treating me that way is, like, it, it doesn't make sense, Mm-mm. and it doesn't feel right.
0: Okay. okay. And so
2: I would say it's, it's not about, you know, oh, I, I want to play with a doll instead of a truck, or, oh, I want to wear a 32-millimeter watch instead of a 44-millimeter watch. It, it's, it's not any of that, Right. It's a perception of self, in terms of what makes you feel authentic and what makes you feel good.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: Very clear.
1: Okay. I just want to, um, again, for clarification's sake, because I think people listening to this may not know. But what's the difference between like transgender and like non-binary and that mm-hmm. those kind of terms that we use? And are there any other terms that we need to be aware of?
2: So, um, I'll answer the first part of your question first. Again, just based on my experience, I, I am not non binary. Um, and so, my explanation is just based on things that I have heard from other people. Um, you know, I, I talked just now, Long Long, about what, what life would be like if everyone insisted on treating you like a man and, and that didn't work. Mm. Now, there are people for whom that doesn't work. And the same mental experiment about being a woman also does not work. Neither of them feels authentic going through life with people saying like, oh, he did this, he did that, going through life saying, oh, she's a wonderful woman. Neither of them feel authentic in that same way. And again, there is a long history of non-binary people across countless cultures. It's not a new fad. Uh, It's just something that because of the internet and unfortunately because of a lot of negative media and political attention has somehow become on people's minds. It's not new. Um, But non-binary people are exactly that, people for whom the experience of of living as a man or the experience of living as a woman both feel inauthentic. And so they, um, inside their head, they are are neither, right? And so a lot of them choose to go by, in English, uh, the pronoun they or them. Mm. Um, In Spanish, uh, we have el and ella. Uh, They they have uh, pronouns they've created which are uh, non-gendered. Um, I believe in, in Chinese, most of them will still go by ta, although I don't know if the, the written character would be different. I'm not an expert on that. Um, so that's, that's, that's how I would explain uh, what it means to be a non-binary person and, and how to interact with them. You know, Dan, to your question, like, are there other terms? Yes, there are a million other terms. Um, people have been having self-introspection about gender questions and identity questions for as long as there have been people. But that wasn't the question you asked, which I think is really important. The question you asked is, are there other terms that we need to know? And I would say the most important thing you need to know, is not a dictionary of like the 600 most relevant queer terms. Um, I think the most important thing is to believe people when they tell you who they are, understand how they want to be treated, and then treat them that way. Right? When I, when I uh, then came on the show and, and said, hey, like I'm a woman, I'm a female collector, this is how I talk about myself, you didn't need to know a whole bunch of queer theory to get on board with that. It. just like, oh, okay, well, then we'll do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all that trans people and non-binary people are looking for, is for them to say like, hey, this is how my existence makes sense. This is what's comfortable for me and for people to to treat them decently. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so long long mentioned the point is that from since we're very young, right, whether you've been taught, you're always going to be um exposed to media where you have an expectation of a gender being like this, and then like a male should be like this and a female should be like that, right? Mm-hmm. you would have also been equally exposed to that
2: absolutely right? like
1: like as a child right it's, it's you know it's not really something you talk about well. At least as a kid Mm -hmm. so when did you kind of realize you were transgender
2: sure so i think um again everyone's experience is different my experience was that uh, really until i was maybe 19 or 20 uh, i didn't know that trans people existed i didn't have this i had never been exposed to the concept of a trans person i had been exposed to caricatures of gender nonconforming people, right? P- jokes on television, right? Men in dresses, women with body hair. Um, these were not sympathetic characters in media. These were people that you would laugh at. The concept of a trans person as an actual human being was not something that I was exposed to as a child. I had no concept that it was even a thing that could exist. So when I was a child, I had no real gender introspection at that point, I was not thinking about this. Um, When I got to uh, college and some of this started to become a little bit more in the mainstream consciousness, this would have been in the early 2010s, I learned that trans people existed and um, that they were real humans and they weren't just running gags. Mm and uh shortly after learning about that i realized hey wait a second actually this feels really good for me like this makes me feel a lot happier about myself Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and um i think by realizing that i was like okay well if this makes me feel so much better to think of myself as a woman and for people to treat me like a woman maybe i should reflect on that Mm -hmm. and so i would say that that was the first time i had any concept of a challenging or even trying to think about my own gender expression, my own gender identity. And then it was over the next several years that um, I became more and more comfortable saying like, no, actually, like, this is what makes me happy going through life and uh, telling other people and, and being treated that way.
0: OK. I have a yeah. question about, uh, relationships, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I know it's not, I know it's not related, but, um, how, so what you identify with has no relation to whether you're attracted to a man or woman. Right. So did you find out first? Did, yeah. So before you realize, look, I, I'm more comfortable being, um, recognized as a, as a female, right. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, were you very clear, do you like men more or do you like women?
2: Sure. Um, so the way I would answer that question is to say that um, in college, I was in a relationship with a wonderful woman. Okay. And um, when I started transitioning, one of the things that of course was on my mind is what's going to happen to this relationship? Mm. Because more than her the fact of her being a woman or being a man or, or not, or anything like that, she was the person I loved. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was very scary. Yeah. And it turned out that the most important thing to both of us was that we loved each other. Yeah. And so we're still together. Uh, we got engaged last year uh, after being together for about a decade. And um, you know, I would say that as a trans person who's transitioned, a lot of people get hung up on how relationships are going to change with that. And for lots of people, um, it can end relationships. And that's very sad when that happens. But for a lot of people, whether it's a romantic relationship, a family relationship, a platonic friendship, um, what they very quickly learn is that very little has changed about this person. Mm. Really very little has changed. Mm. I'm still madly interested in collecting watches. I still love to sing. I still believe very deeply in social activism. Um, I just wear different clothes and use a different name, and it makes me happier to go through life that way. And I think what most of my friends, family, and partners have found is that it's not that big a change. Mm. It doesn't have to be.
1: I'd like to go back a little bit and ask, you found that you... Liked being treated like a woman is that Mm -hmm. right but the thing is like before college you would have been like a man like you you would have been dressed like you would have been conforming to what society interprets to be a man Mm -hmm. and obviously if you go out in the street as a man or if you have your social how people don't treat you like a woman so how do you know you like that side
2: i think a lot of it is again for me Thought experiment. Um, Let's say, for example, Dan, I were to ask you, you know, do you think you would enjoy um, how people would treat you if you always went around on the street and everywhere dressed um, very nicely, suit, tie, looking sharp? um, You probably have an idea of whether you can think about and think like, huh? But I, how would that make me feel, right? Um, Lung Lung, you know, I could ask you, like, how do you think you would feel with the same way, Mm -hmm. right, if you always went out in men's attire? And you could probably imagine it and try to think about it. And maybe Mm -hmm. you wouldn't know right away. You'd have to reflect on it. Mm -hmm. And I think probably for me and for other trans people, when we had that thought, we were like, actually, that feels much more like what I actually think of as myself. That feels like I'm out there in a way that feels good. Mm. Um, and so at least for me, Dan, I would say it, it's it's not that hard mm. to have that imagination. Um, and I think once you do and you realize, you know what, actually, like this is just a more honest way of talking about who I am, mm. uh, you can think about it really easily.
1: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, there's one thing like realizing you're transgender and another thing being openly public about it Mm -hmm. so how is that process like
2: it's very scary it really is um and the reason for it is very sad because you are constantly constantly coming out um you know when we started talking about doing this podcast um, we were talking about the Imperial VFA, we were talking about the, the Tianjin Tuning Fork Watches. Uh, I suspect, although I suppose I don't know, that you didn't know whether I was transgender or cisgender and weren't even thinking about it. And then when I came on this, this podcast, uh, the kind of the pre-call that we did to talk about it, um, that's when you figured that out. And I'll be honest, I really didn't know how you would respond. And I think that for a lot of queer people, that process is continuous, right? If you're a gay man, every time you mention your husband with someone new, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. And I think that's true, not just for gender and sexuality, I think it's true for race, right? I think if you are a black collector and maybe your Instagram is full of 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 watch shots without your wrist, and then you go to an in-person meetup, you don't know how people will respond. I think if you're disabled, the same thing can happen, right? I think a lot of people move through the world with identities that are not always hitting people in the face in every way that they can meet them. So I would say you know, the, the process of transitioning publicly is a very long and drawn-out and frankly never-ending one. Uh, when I talk to new clients at work, every single time I go through this process, right? Every single time. And um, you know, I try, to be, I try to be very forthcoming about it. I say, look, this is not going to affect the work I do. This is not going to fa- affect my watch collecting. This is not going to affect any of the things that I have to do any more than it would if any other woman were doing it. Um, but I have had cases where, like, someone has made it very clear they weren't interested in dealing with me anymore. And that's sad. Um, but very happily for me, uh, it has not been the majority.
1: I can I can I can only imagine because I'm not transgender, but like what about your family mm-hmm. coming out to family? Because with all these people that you've just mentioned, clients and stuff, you don't need to see them. Mm-hmm. You know, you um you, you know you know, people that don't need to see don't want to see you, you know, you, you probably want to see the back of them anyway. Um but you can't really do that with family. So what was it like? coming out to family?
2: So I'll say that in the U.S., uh, roughly half of the homeless queer youth on the streets were turned out by their family when they came out. And that is uh, just crushing. It's just crushing. And I really didn't know um, what would happen to me. Obviously, I wasn't going to be turned out since I was an adult and not living at home. Um, You know, I keep saying my experience, my experience, my experience has been very lucky. My family was super supportive. It has not changed anything. You know, people use this phrase, oh, my family was so supportive. Oh, my friends were so supportive. Oh, my work was so supportive. Um, You know, I would say they actually were, is is they were accepting. That's what really matters, right? Um, Mm. They're saying, okay, well, if this is who you are, then we still love you because you're our daughter and you're still part of the family. And as far as we're concerned, nothing has changed. And they were absolutely right. Nothing had changed. It's really such a small thing that people get upset over. It's such a small thing, and yet people are obsessed with it. And that's what makes it so difficult. If people were less obsessed with this idea that there was that this was so high stakes, then it wouldn't be. Um, so yeah, my coming out to family. You know, I was very nervous about it. Um, it turns out I had nothing to be nervous about. And that was many years ago now.
0: Why do you think people are angry The people when they do react really badly? Like, what's the thing inside them that's, like, making them so mad about this? Yeah, what,
1: what, is, what are these high stakes?
2: You know, I feel like if I had an answer that made sense, it would be a problem that would be a lot easier to solve. And, um, you know, I think back to how interracial marriage was dealt with in the U.S. in the first half of the century. I think back to how gay men were treated in the 70s and 80s in the U.S. um, And how trans people, again, at least in the U.S., have become a huge focal point of discussions and arguments and grandstanding that is simply not worth it. It's simply not that threatening. And I think part of it, if I'm gonna be very honest and candid with you, um, and since you've invited me on here, you have no choice, uh, is that some people are trying to use trans people as pawns to advance their own interests, and they're hurting us and killing us by doing it. Um, I know it's a little grim, But I think that their messaging has instilled in people such fear about what if someone in their life was trans? Um, And I think it's that fear that makes people try to pretend it's not happening, try to tell people, if you're trans, I don't want to deal with you. Um, And I think if they got to know trans people, like you're getting to know me, you'd realize, like, okay, well, it's it's really not that different from talking to any other woman. It's, it's another human being.
1: Hmm. Uh, how do you think it's affected your watch collecting, if at all?
2: It has, actually. Um, so watches right now, um, in many people's minds, are extremely gendered, mm-hmm. which I always think is a little bit funny. Um, you know, you can walk into a modern store as a man and get directed over towards the high complications or um, the chronographs, right? Chronographs are always men's watches. Uh, if you walk into a store and you're a woman, you're shown high jewelry pieces um, or maybe quartz fashion watches depends on the store. Mm. And my experience has been, well, my collecting interest is in chronometry past and present. And with a few, Very few exceptions, advances in chronometry and technology have occurred in in watches marketed to men. So all all the watches I showed you today, all the watches I talked about today, every single one without exception was a watch marketed to men. Um, There are a few ladies' watches that are technological improvements, but even those sometimes don't get the full package. So I mentioned the ladies VFA from Seiko. Seiko made one ladies VFA. Out of their, I believe, 11 VFA models. Every single other VFA watch was spec to two seconds per day. The ladies VFA was specced to, I believe, minus three plus five. So uh, twice as wide as the men's models, twice as inaccurate. Did it have to be that way? It probably didn't have to be. They were putting in a smaller case, so it's more challenging. They could have put more labor into it. So when I collect, there's the tension. There's a tension between the watches I actually like from a fashion perspective and the watches that fit and have a significant place in the history of chronometry. Mm -hmm. Watches that do both, that have a a place in the history of ladies' chronometry, are fascinating to me but they are few and far between. Citizen has a couple that are very, very cool. Seiko has their ladies VFA. Bolova did have a ladies tuning fork. Uh, Citizen in 1998 made a ladies high accuracy quartz. Longine has their modern high accuracy quartz that comes um, with a diamond bezel and a ladies case. Mother of Pearl, very nice. But by and large, I would say that they're very uncommon. So that's how it affects my watch collecting. But I think the more important question, Daniel, is how does it affect me being part of the watch collecting community? Because people have all kinds of ideas about what female watch collectors do and what they're interested in. I can't tell you how often I'm on a forum or on Reddit or on Discord or Instagram or whatever reading that you know women aren't really interested in watches. Women just want fashion watches. Um, you think about the ways that companies have advertised to women and how they've advertised to men. Uh, IWC has a particularly vile advertising campaign from the 1990s talking about what they think about women. And so, um, you know, trying to come into these discussions and advocate for female collectors as a trans collector is always more complicated than it should be. Because when I step into these spaces and say, actually, female collectors do all of the things that you think they don't do, and they do them better, in a lot of cases, if I may say so myself, a lot of times people take my entrance into the conversation as a chance to muddy the waters, and it really doesn't have to be. It's really very simple, Um, but that has affected, you know, being a female collector and being a trans collector simultaneously has made those discussions even more complicated.
0: Have you met
2: um, collectors in real life? I have met uh, several collectors in real life. Um, you know, I would say that uh, a lot of them, uh, I have been very choosy about who I meet mm-hmm. in real life. Um, and those that I do meet in real life, I have had very positive experiences with. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised by that based on how I selected who I would meet in real life. Mm-hmm. I have gone to uh, like watch collecting conventions, like Watch Time in NYC, uh, Worn and Wound, uh, Patek had an exhibit in New York that I went to, and in those places, I've typically felt um, physically safe, but typically excluded from the main audience of who they were trying to present to. Mm. I think in those spaces, it really has more to do with being a woman than it does with being trans. Mm. At the the Patek exhibit, for example, there is a very very small section of ladies watches, mm-hmm. um, and Patek has such an amazing history of ladies watches. They really do. They're uh, they made the second ladies wristwatch ever, mm-hmm. and they just have nothing nothing in that exhibit that was focused on them. Um, so I think I, I mean I I don't want to preempt whatever question was coming after. Have you met collect- collectors in real life? But um, the collectors that I have met in real life, I've I've formed fantastic bonds with.
0: Okay.
1: I remember, like you told me that you received death threats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that that that's like unbelievable to me. Like I mean, I believe it because you said it, but I mean, I just can't fathom why anybody would get so hung up about yeah that I mean when we're talking about watches I, I I really do believe that you know where you come from your background or anything uh I mean I'm trying to learn right mm-hmm. when I come into a community that's the main thing um and like that is you know your gender has got nothing it really doesn't bother me so I find it very hard to understand why someone would get so worked up about it especially well not that it matters but you're so knowledgeable Raven, as well like so i'm like just sitting there listening if you listen back to the first episode we have you'll realize long long and i are both just sitting there listening Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you speak so well and it explains Mm -hmm. so well as well you know i can definitely see that teacher in you um but yeah why how did that even come by
2: so I think the experience of being a woman online is uh, very different than what people expect. And Lung, well, I'm not going to ask about your experience on an open mic. But um, you know, I would say that there is an expectation that I run into a lot in watch collecting communities that everyone in the room is a man. Uh, so for example, on watch forums, regularly, every week, right? There's uh, someone who posts a picture of a watch, and there happens to be a woman in the background. Mm. And heaven help you if you want to talk about the watch, because every single comment will be about the woman in the background. Mm.
0: Mm.
2: Um, It was three days ago on Reddit where I ran into a post talking about um, the best watches to wear to get women to sleep with you. Uh, The post is gone now. you know, these things happen constantly. I think the reason they happen, especially online, is because men assume that all the other collectors in the room are men. And that's a thing that people don't like hearing or being told. Um, so I feel a little bit scared about saying it, but I think it's true. And I think that when that's challenged, right, when they're they're taken out of that comfort zone and said, hey, actually, this thing that you said, that you decided was okay to say, like, you know, there are women here that are hearing you and listening to you and seeing this, um, I think makes people uh, very upset when that safe space for them to act that way is challenged. And so in my experience, that's my theory about why people are are so upset about women in the hobby, uh, queer people in the hobby, about um, people of color in the hobby. I think it's it's because it challenges their idea that all the other collectors that they're talking to are like them. Now I don't know. I haven't I haven't issued surveys back to everyone who's DM'd me saying like, oh why did you say that? What were you feeling at the time? Um, so it's it's just a guess, um, but it is all that I can think of. I mean, I don't think it would be hard to find any female watch collector who posts pictures of herself and go through the comments on the posts and see things that shouldn't be there. Yeah.
0: I I have to say I half agree, but I, I would tell you from my perspective, which I'm happy to share, right, is I have this theory that all these men, right, in real life, I know I'm generalizing, and there's a lot of great collectors and whatever, really good people, right? But all these men live these like mundane lives outside. Yeah, they do love watches, but they have this, let's just say, very mundane life, okay? Mm-hmm. So they built this character on social media, or this ego, or whatever they think, this character in the head, right? And this character is actually bigger than what they actually are in real life. And, you know, they have a lot of followers, they have fans, and then they behave a certain way, and they're this, like, alter ego online.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's say from my perspective, what happens, like, my experience, right? What happens is they they really believe this character is real, right? Because they're, log- they're using this Instagram every day, let's say. And then they get angry, say, with me, because they expect me to... Be, let's say, amazed by their collection, or I have to suck up to them, or I have to behave in a way that they fantasized. And when Mm -hmm. that fantasy gets broken, they get angry that I came in and I disturbed that this character and this piece, the storyline they had. Mm -hmm. So I see this happening with you in the sense that you basically like messed up the storyline for them and what they imagined, this fantasy they had. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, 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 oh, I can so identify the characters you're talking about, Yeah. the characters that, that people build for themselves. Yeah. Um, I think you're absolutely right. It's if like, they're, they're, they're loving that space that they've built and the character that they've built and, and when it falls apart, it's, I, I can see it could be honestly upsetting. Yeah. Um, but of course there's several ways of dealing with that.
1: Yeah. I've, I've always thought just observing from, um, the sidelines of like communities well I watch communities especially because that's, that's kind of the space I'm in is that when a group of men come together there's something I'm not sure if it's biological or, or something where the competition gets a lot more intense than if they were if you just caught them like by themselves uh, I, the, the way they behave um, is very different and I, you know I'm sure there's probably literature on how, how we as human beings, you know, our behavior changes when we go into a group setting and um, when we are not in the group setting and uh, not just men, you know, women as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I almost think some of those really, I mean, it's not forgivable. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that I don't know if there's a kind of genetic or biological predisposition to men's behavior. In certain ways, when they are in a group setting, uh, and unfortunately, some of those traits aren't, aren't desirable. But um, yeah, it's a very interesting kind of uh, thing to observe. Like, I remember Long Long and I used to have these conversations, just observe because we both be on the side, like watching and. Um, I'd be watching how people were interacting with her and we would be watching like how people interact just generally and it would be very interesting to just observe and not actually partake in this kind of, um, we we made jokes about it like it was like kindergarten or, you know, um, whether it was like, you know, monkey kind of uh, hierarchical kind of behaviour, it's very interesting to observe. But yeah, that's not advocating for that kind of behaviour
2: very useful behavior for auction houses
1: (laughs) (laughs) right let's move on to the next question that's (laughs) right the next one i would say is you kind of touched upon this but what would you say the most difficult thing about being transgender is in like when you're interacting the thing that really really kind of gets you that maybe people should be aware of
2: Mm -hmm. so again speaking mostly from my perspective right because if I weren't speaking from my perspective it would be things like being homeless and impoverished which trans people universally are compared to cis people Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been very very fortunate not to have fallen into that camp you know I would say for me um you know so much of it is so wonderful honestly so much of carving an identity for yourself out of raw material mm. and finding the person that you're most happy to be is just a huge joy. And most of the world is, is happy to share in that joy. Um, you know, things that are difficult, I always expected interpersonal interactions to be difficult, right? Meeting a new person and like, oh my goodness, like what are they gonna think? In reality, that has not been much of a problem in my life. What has actually been surprisingly difficult has been structural barriers. So what do I mean by that? Um, It's very, very difficult as a trans person to get your documents updated
1: Mm.
2: when you have a name change. Uh, Average cost of doing that in the U.S. is $500 Mm. to do the document update, and that's not counting uh, state ID or passport or anything like that. Now $500 on a watch collecting podcast probably doesn't sound like that much. Um, But to a lot of people, it it really is. Uh, As a trans person, it can be very difficult to have safe access to uh, changing rooms if I'm trying on clothes, right? Because maybe everyone at the store is super supportive of me, but the store does not have a space where I can go and try something on. Mm. Um, It can be very difficult to have safe access to restrooms in public. It can be very difficult to uh, have access to like uh, swimming pools in public. It can be very difficult to go through a system and a space and a world which is not designed Mm. for people like me. Mm. It's not designed with us in mind, right? And so I would say that has been the most difficult thing, being in a world of mostly well-meaning people that is nonetheless not designed for me to exist and that's true of trans people it's true of disabled people um, people who move through this world uh, and are constantly having to invent new ways to exist
1: i I would like to ask um you know in most of this podcast we talked about some of those negative interactions you've had with men or you know Mm -hmm. especially in the watch community that is you know a lot of men in it but what about from women Mm -hmm. do you get the, you know, negative interactions from women?
2: I would say extremely rarely. Okay. Very, very rarely. And, you know, it's a, it's a fair question because uh, not all transphobes are men. That's absolutely true. Um, But I think, especially in watch collecting, um, I think women in my experience, again, are just a lot more secure. They feel a lot more satisfied with themselves. They don't have the characters that Lung Lung was talking about that they've built up. I think they just want to be here to talk about watches. And so I have really not had those experiences. I, in fact, had many very positive experiences with female collectors in the space. Um, One of my closest friends in the world now is a female collector that I met, um, I don't know, four years ago. And so... You know, I, I hate to give you this answer, Dan, I really do. But the truth is, um, either by selection bias or sample size, uh, I really haven't. The, the okay. women and non-binary collectors that I know, um, we get along great. Okay.
1: Um, what advice would you give to young people who may be thinking of coming out or maybe wondering if they are transgender?
2: So I would say, uh, for the second one, find some trans people and talk to them. Um, it's not hard to do. Get online, get on Reddit, get on Discord, get on—I on, don't know what Snapchat or TikTok these days. Um, you know, talk to other trans people, talk to them about their experience, and don't listen just to mine. Right, talk to a couple. Everybody's is very different. Um. And then for trans people who are considering coming out, I think the most important thing for people to hear and to know is that coming out is not like a one thing, you change everything and there's no going back. Right. So when I was coming out, I came out to like one person online. I was like, hey, I think I'm trans. Like, can you call me this and talk to me this way? And then if I decided, you know what, this isn't really working out, I could tell that one person. You know what? Never mind. Um, and that would be it. it. Coming out is such a long and personal process. It, I mean, it took me years and years, and I'm, I'm still changing things, right? So still coming out to new people. I came out to you earlier last week. So um, don't feel like you're blowing up your life by starting this process. Um, you, you are not. If you're thinking about it, you are just taking one small step to see how it feels if it feels good you're taking one more step to see how that feels and there's no end goal there's no like defined state you have to reach at the end or you haven't finished right the state you reach at the end is where you feel good about yourself and if that means changing one thing or changing 500 things you just you know it's no different than any other person Right, People change their hair when they want to feel better about themselves, or they change their wardrobe, or they change their hobbies, or change their employer. Right, It's just you're changing a couple things. Some of them are kind of fraught because people have these hangups about gender. But you don't need to say, should I come out or not come out? Those aren't the only two choices. Your choices are, should I do this one thing, or this one other thing, or this third thing, and, and see how they feel? Um, and reach out to support networks as well, Trans Lifeline, Trevor Project, Ah, uh, whatever your regional resources, don't be afraid to use them.
0: I have a question about um, Bruce Jenner, right? Has Caitlyn it, Jenner. Ah, uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Sorry. <laughs> um. So have these like TV shows and people like him, right? Her. Well, now her, right? Um. Has it actually helped the community, or has it made it worse?
2: So, I would say, since you're asking this very specific question, yeah. Caitlyn Jenner has made things worse for people, not because of her show, but because of the policies that she's advocated for. Um, Trans people, much like cis people, can advocate for policies that are harmful to other trans people. And that's just true of the policies that she's advocated for. Now, putting that aside, increased awareness, generally, broadly, of trans people and the struggles they face, I think, by and large, has improved things for trans people. Shows like Sensate, um, online communities that are more accepting, um, uh, legislature that does aim to protect the rights of trans people has all had very positive impacts. Mm. And I think, okay, you could say like, well, it's it's made people more uncomfortable. Maybe it's increased blowback. Maybe it's, Mm. you know, if we hadn't done this, people could just be living quietly under the radar and they wouldn't be under so much threat. Mm. I don't believe it. And the reason I don't believe it is if you think back to me. Because when I was growing up, I had no idea trans people existed. Mm. It was not something I could conceive of being an option. Mm. And it wasn't until that I learned that they did that I was able to take these steps to make myself a happier person. Mm. And ultimately, whatever blowback and negative consequences there are, and there are a lot um, ultimately being more open about all of this, open uh, having more education available, having more resources available, is going to be more important to improving the lives of trans people and helping cis people understand that they're just humans.
0: Okay, I, I have another Sorry, question. Sorry, what, what are
1: cis yeah. people?
2: So uh, transgender is a word that you've been using a lot, uh, which of course means that uh, your gender doesn't match the gender you were assigned at birth. Cisgender is the opposite. Cisgender means that your gender does match what you were assigned at birth. So Dan, Lung Lung, you are both, as far as I know, cisgender, right? Uh, Most people go through the world as cisgender. Uh, It's just, um, you know, there's a word to describe trans people. There is also a word to describe people who are not trans. That word is cis. Uh, It comes from chemistry. Um, Molecular geometry can either be uh, trans geometry or cis geometry. They're two opposites.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, is it easier for guys to transition into a girl or a girl to transition to a guy, or is there no difference?
2: There's lots of differences, um, as to whether it's easier or not, it's hard for me to say whether a woman transitioning or a man transitioning, um, is harder or easier. Mm -hmm. You know, as a woman who transitioned, obviously I have my own experiences I would say that you could go and look up statistics on domestic partner violence, you could go look up statistics on poverty, you could go look up statistics on homelessness, you'd find different answers in all of those and you could find 40 more. Um, I don't know that I could give you a really useful idea of which way is easier than others. Um, I think they both come with their own benefits and their own challenges. Mm, okay.
1: I'm getting that it's a constant process right because you're finding little you're moving little steps and little steps and little steps so you maybe think oh I like to think of myself like this you know and so okay I try it I like it and then I make the changes or make the actions to try and make myself feel better Mm -hmm. okay so as a as a person that is trans trans like as a woman Mm-hmm. do you think like you'd want to be treated like being more attracted to to a man then
2: so i'd say that um well i would say that lesbians exist yeah and are women so i don't think um who you're attracted to necessarily mm-hmm. has to be part of your gender now many trans people when they transition do you find that they're attracted to people they weren't before Mm. Um, and vice versa. Oh, you know, it's okay. it's not at all uncommon. Uh, I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that oftentimes they're becoming more flexible with how they think about things. That's kind of a necessary thing that happens <laughs> when you're trans and transitioning. Um, so some people do find that they're attracted to people they weren't before. Uh, for for some people they don't. Uh, some people stay with the same partner. Some people find new ones. Mm. Um, you know, there is absolutely obviously a stereotype that women are typically attracted to men and there are definitely some trans women who feel good after transitioning about being attracted to men okay. um, and, and that's totally fine okay. but I wouldn't say that it is I wouldn't say that it's more common than not I think it, it's uh, it, it can go both ways for sure okay. uh, I know lots of trans people who after transitioning have found you know what the experience of, of realizing my own gender has made gender a lot less important to me in general, in other people, right? Mm. I can be a lot more flexible about other people's gender identities. And so one thing that's very common for trans people who transition is to be a lot more open about who they can feel attraction to. Mm.
1: Mm. Right. Finally, something like um, you mentioned before about society not having structures in place, the world not having structures in place for someone like you. what the conversation about children must be very difficult because you know when the child comes out they 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 also may have to do a lot of explaining in the world that doesn't uh you know built for parents that are trans you Mm -hmm. know and that that's not a choice that they are kind of given you know Mm -hmm. as a child um does that weigh heavily on you
2: I think what weighs heavily on me is the fact that there are so many people determined to see chance trans children die um, because there are people who are absolutely dedicated to that cause by taking away all of their options by taking away all of their choices. And I would 10 times a hundred times over prefer that a trans child have the right to make that decision to come out and get the care that's available to us in our society then have to wait until um, they're an adult if they make it that far. Uh, I volunteer with a, a crisis hotline in the US for trans people. Um, we get calls from six-year-olds who feel like they have no options left. And it is heartbreaking. And so I would say that um, it's very difficult for children, but children have one benefit, which is that most of their peers are children and children are amazing creatures. And they are so willing in so many cases to accept a world that's more complex than they've been taught, which Mm. adults have a lot of difficulty with. Mm. So I would actually say I'm very hopeful about the ability of, of children um, to find a world which is accepting. You know, there has been, at least in the US, a huge amount of discourse around medical chair, medical care, excuse me, for trans children and how it's, it's uh, abuse or how it's um, inappropriate. Uh, all of that discourse is by people who are not doctors, all that discourse is by people who don't have trans children, and all that discourse is wrong. And I'm going to put that out there. We have very, very, very good scientific evidence that those interventions are reversible, they are appropriate, and they dramatically improve quality of life. Um, You know, do I advocate for better accommodations for trans trans children in schools to have systems that are built for their existence? Yes, absolutely. But I don't think we need to wait for those. Um, There's there's absolutely no reason to. Hmm.
1: Okay, well... I think that ends the interview of part two for you, Raven. Um, I don't really know what to say, but thank you for being so candid and so open, is what we asked for on this podcast. And um, I don't know, I guess I must have sounded such a numpty asking some of the questions I asked.
2: No, you know what I would uh, say? I'd say that it's important to be open to to not making assumptions about people. Yeah. You know, sometimes people ask me, like, hey, how can I be, how can I make watch collecting spaces more welcoming to trans people, to queer people, to women, to people of color, to disabled people, right? And overwhelmingly, what I tell them is, first of all, don't make assumptions about other people, right? Don't assume that another collector is male. Don't assume that a female collector wants to collect a certain kind of piece. Don't assume that um, this joke is going to land well when you you know that there are people with whom it wouldn't. Um, If you see someone doing something inappropriate, don't assume that someone else will call them out. Right, do it yourself. Um, Bystanders calling out inappropriate behavior has a dramatic impact on how welcoming a space is. Dramatic, bystander intervention is the most effective way of making a space more welcoming. It's been studied again and again and again. If you do those things and you're asking in good faith, Dan, I would say, no, I, I commend you rather than rather than condemn you.
1: Oh, thanks, <laughs> thank you. Well, we now move on to the uh, reverso round. So please go ahead.
2: Oh my goodness! All right. So, um, Lynn why don't I start with you since uh, we we flipped it around last time? You know, I guess what I would say is, in your watch collecting experience, what has been, if any. A watch that you were really drawn to personally that you think other people based on some stereotype or other would not think of as a watch for you?
0: I think most of the watches that that I have actually. Um, But I think I say this about, I speak for Jack as well. Um, Jacqueline, who was supposed to come on today. Um, I used to, when I first started, I was really, easily like um, agitated if people push me towards the dime, the high jewelry section, um, something pink, something with the diamond bezel. But then I slowly realized that um, I actually can't complain because the majority of the girls that I meet still love that stuff, which puts Mm -hmm. me into a very, very small category of people that, like men's watches. So I have kind of learned to just be like, okay, I'm going to get these comments. And it's going to be a very, um, th- there are going to be moments where I feel really uncomfortable, but I've kind of learned to just accept this as part of the hobby. I think the bit I still struggle with is because there aren't a lot of people who are very public who are female, a lot of this attention and this so-called task has been pushed onto me. So there's a lot of Mm -hmm. people that might come to me and tell me, hey, you need to do something about it. But I also kind of feel like I'm not authentic if I do, because I am in reality someone that will walk into a store and just quietly walk to the men's section, like Mm -hmm. without having the guts to really get angry in real life. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like it would be, Yeah, one, it would be not authentic of me, but two, it would also, I wouldn't do a good task, as opposed to if they gave this task to someone else that actually felt strongly about it, and that would actually speak accurately about what they felt. Mm -hmm. But in terms of watches, definitely most of the ones that I have, um, I have been kind of directed to be like what about this one <laughs> when it's like no i know it. I, I think i've chosen the right one and i like this one so mm-hmm. there hasn't been a single one where this kind of um situation hasn't come up now
2: that's fair That's yeah. fair well then dan i'm gonna ask you the same question you know has there been a watch that um you were really into that you wanted that you have that for some stereotype or other um You know people thought was was not the right watch for you
1: um no but there has been a watch where i thought uh, if i wear it people are gonna have an opinion on it they might not say it but they're gonna have an opinion on it Mm -hmm. which is um i bought a chinese watch a shanghai watch right and you know if you thought like people's appreciation of course watches was bad you know, just give them a Chinese watch. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and they're like, why are you wearing that trash? You know, like, they would never say it because uh, generally now the people I meet, they, they kind of know me before they've met me, in a way. So, yeah, but I always think that they might um, have that, like, stereotype or prejudice towards a Chinese watch, you know, being p- badly made and, you know, fakes and all this kind of stuff you know the general consensus on Chinese watches isn't I would say you know it's generalised thing to say I have no evidence for it but probably not good um but you know I really really it ticked all the boxes for me and what I like in watches you know so I bought it I think it looks great I wear it and I wear it to I mean I don't really like worry about who who I'm going to meet. But I, I think, yeah, it's a watch that could be quite polarizing, potentially. Yeah.
2: Perfect.
1: Yeah. All right. So we now go on to the pump pusher, the last round. Number one, could you give us a quote that particularly resonates with you?
2: Um, there's, a, there's a quote from one of my English teachers when I was in high school. Um, we would write an English paper. It was very well written and it hit all the boxes. It talks about what was going on in the book. And the teacher would just write at the top of it, So what? Because you hadn't actually made a point. You listed a bunch of facts. And she was always writing down, So what? What mark are you putting on the world? What new idea are you coming to us uh, with with these facts?
1: Well, pretty good teacher.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, number two. The person who has had the most impact on you other than
2: family. Um, that would be, I think the answer would probably be a friend of mine named Han. Um, they, uh, they were the first person that I kind of really got to know who was focused on making spaces truly inclusive. And I had my own ideas of how you did that. And then from talking to them. My my world and my ideas about how that worked grew so dramatically. And it's completely changed how I moved through the world in the last eight years and how I try to change things in the spaces I'm in. So uh they had a, a huge impact on how I conduct myself. Mm. Okay.
1: Number three, something you'd like to try but have never done.
2: Uh, skydiving. <laughs>
1: okay. And why have you not tried it?
2: I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, you know, they don't have uh, a place I can go kind of down the block that does it. And so, um, like I mentioned, I've, I've barely gotten out for vacation the last couple of years, but uh, yeah, maybe someday.
1: Okay, something off your bucket list other than skydiving.
2: Um, I would love, I've been thinking this for years, to start a little pop up museum, maybe just for a weekend or something like that, where I rent a space, put all my watches up with like little info placards, and people can come and see the whole collection at once. Um, I've really wanted to do that, and um, it's something I, I hope to do one day.
1: Okay. Um, somewhere you'd like to travel to?
2: Um, I uh, I went when I was in high school. I went to Isfahan, Iran. Uh, it's a city in northern Iran, and it is beautiful. Uh, it's just gorgeous. There are bridges over the rivers that are lit up at night, and um, parks and architecture. There's a, a square with the, the mosque and the bazaar. One of my favorite trips ever. And I think it's gonna be very difficult for me to go back there, but I would love to go back there. Okay.
1: Um, something we would need to do in your hometown if we were ever to visit.
2: Um, I would say that uh, the best thing about my hometown is um, actually just outside it, uh, the redwood forests that we have on the west coast of the US, trees that are ancient, trees that are enormous. You walk through these woods and you walk up a mountain and the trees are still above you and you look down the mountain and the trees go down. Their, their size is just unequalable. Anybody who's been on the west coast of the US really should give it a try.
1: Oh, that sounds so something that I would love to do. <laughs>
2: And great light right. for watch photography as well.
1: <laughs> right. Number seven, last one. Something we would have to eat in your hometown if we were ever to visit.
2: Oh, my goodness. My tastes are so simple. Um, you know, I think that uh, my my favorite recommendation would be um, on Fifth Street. Uh, there's a place that serves... Um, I, I think it's like Vietnamese street food infused with American brunch, is my impression. Um, but they have a, a French toast that's uh, seasoned with Thai iced tea. I don't know why they have Thai iced tea. The rest of the stuff is not Thai. Um, but it's 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 such a unique taste. It's, it's worth a try.
1: For a moment there, I'm gonna, I thought you were going to say on the Fifth Street, there's a McDonald's. I was like, I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> right well that was the end of the pump push around raven uh thank you again for agreeing to not only to come on but yeah like i said discuss this topic and be so open about it actually you know your journey sounds i don't know as i was listening to it i thought uh, you know it's long and i we always talk about just trying to be happy and find the way to be happy you know and for each and one of us that's very different and i just thought you know it's just very similar. It's just that the target was slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really resonated with uh, everything you said and also the difficulties and the barriers in place for that to to happen. Um, yeah, so thank you for coming on.
2: Thank yeah, you. thank you so much for having me. It was great to meet you both. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, that's a wrap. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you guys for tuning in. Bye.
0: Bye. As always, thank you for listening to The Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions,
1: comments,
2: or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at The Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts.
1: We'll see you on the next one. Bye.